fastest growing TV network, the new TNN. Blue sky, plenty of sunshine, take a stroll down by the bay. Where else could there ever be such a sensational hideaway? And now, and now, now's the time for a little vacation to clear the mind. And now, and now, like heaven on earth, simple but also nice. It's almost like paradise. <laughs> Take this. Beautiful morning, all the natives they laugh and play. Everything just so peaceful. The rest of the world seems Pop so far culture away. addicts, welcome and back now, to the new TNN podcast feed. My name is Johnny C, and we are here to bring you the latest edition of Junk Man. Show here on the feed where we take a look at movies. They just have such a bad reputation, and we we look at it, we talk about it, we really try to have a, a nice visceral experience with it, and then uh, we talk about it with you all and decide, well, is it junk, or eh, are we doing okay here? Um, so what I want to talk about today is a way, way back in the past, considering where we left you uh, with our last episode, which I think was in 2010, well, not our last episode, but the film we talked about, The Last Airbender by M. Night Shyamalan. <sighs> Jesus Christ, that movie. Today, we're going back to the past, or I guess, what the hell, I'll run with it. You could say we're going back to the future, because we are going to be hanging out with uh, Doc, Doc Brown himself. We're heading back to 1991 for the hit, question mark, new line cinema film, Suburban Commando. Yay. <laughs> oh, boy. So... As we usually do here on Junkman, let's uh, let's talk about some behind-the-scenes information on this film and uh, see what we can get, our, get ourselves into. Now, this movie uh, was directed by Burt Kennedy, who, folks, I don't think I've ever seen anything this man has done, but his resume contains a shit ton of Western uh, paraphernalia. We've got TV shows, made-for-TV movies, a couple of theatrical releases, but all in the Western genre. I mean, seriously, try finding uh, a movie this guy's directed that doesn't have at least six or seven names in the title, because Westerns always do that, you know? Like, Alone at Dawn When Noon Falls, or shit like that, or uh, I don't know. Lone Street, Gunman in Texas, where there is fists full of dollars. I mean, I don't know. Western names always seem so, seem so long. Uh, I don't know. That that gag is over, though. Now, this film stars Christopher Lloyd as Charlie Wilcox, a businessman with a heart of gold who's a nice suburban dad that just can't quite get himself to, to hit that next level of his existence. And uh, all the put-upon misadventures that he's about to be exposed to because he's going to be teaming up with the other star of this film, Hulk Hogan. Terry Bollea, dude, if you will, as international or international <laughs> interstellar bounty hunter Ship Ramsey, dude. International. Well, I mean, I guess... All right, so we've also got... Stanley Kubrick's favorite actress, Shelley Duvall, as Charlie's wife, Jenny Wilcox. 
Shelly Duvall here, man. You know, I think this is the first time I'd ever been exposed to Shelly Duvall in my life. And I I still I still don't quite catch Shelly Long, okay? But I will say this, she is uh fantastic in The Shining. So well done. William Ball as General Souter. No, nothing nothing really about William Ball. Sorry everybody. Tony Lungo as Knuckles. Now, I am confused here because I was always under the impression that Idris Elba was Knuckles, but here we are. It was Tony Lungo. It was <laughs> it was Lungo all along. Who's that climbing those with big fists? It was Tony Lungo. Who's that bastard going to punch that hedgehog? It was always Tony Lungo. I'd rather be at home with Ray. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. Oh, that's a different song. But it kind of went with it. Mark Calloway as Hutch. Why does that name sound so familiar? Oh, it's driving me crazy. Mark Calloway. Mark Calloway. I won't have a peaceful night's rest until I remember who this guy is. Oh, well. Time to move on. But most importantly, folks, saving the absolute fucking best for last... Absolute tour de force character actor Larry Miller as Adrian Belts. I don't even know if they ever call him by that name. It's Christopher Lloyd's boss. Larry Miller is a godsend to this film. And, and, characters like this the world over, okay? I fucking love Larry Miller. I love him in 10 Things I Hate About You when he's complaining about those Dawson's Rivers kids that I know a thing or two about. I love him as the dad, 10 Things I Hate About You. He's in other shit too. But that's, you know... That and this are always my go-to, and someone's yelling, Oh, but he's in this, and it's so much better. And yeah, you might be right. I just can't pull it out of my ass right now. A little bit of a plot synopsis here. An interstellar hero from a distant world visits Earth. I don't know why I did that voice there. An interstellar hero from a distant world visits Earth and tries to fit in with a mundane yet kind sea of urban family. Now, here's a conundrum in my brain. According to IMDb. I mean, look, I've said I looked this shit up. I mean, it's all on fucking IMDb. I'm not some sort of genius here. Any fucking moron could have done this. Uh, I don't know if it's accurate or not. But I got the filming dates as being the end of September 90 to the end of January 91. I'm confused. I I always misremember. I thought he filmed this when he was quote-unquote on the shelf due to the earthquake. All right? But no, if I remember now as I'm thinking about this out loud, I think that was like an actual vacation. Like, Dude, I'm going to take Brooke and Nick, and and, and we're going to go do some rough stuff, dude. Like, I thought, you know, or maybe it's because Nick was being born. I don't know. And you know what? I don't want to dig that deep into the life of Hulk Hogan. All right, enough. So, sure enough, our film starts with a cold open that's just an absolutely tour de force, and I can't say enough positive things about it, all right? Uh, we're starting this off with a direct homage or thievery of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, and I don't care. I fucking love it. With a giant Star Destroyer, excuse me, flying over a desert planet, uh, you know, shooting up uh, tiny ships, okay? Now, on this Starship Destroyer that doesn't have a name, and it doesn't matter, it's not an actual Star Wars vessel, we see the this film's version of stormtroopers okay and they all look like they're members of that fucking insane early electronic group Kraftwerk. we are the robots we are the robots neon lights boodaloo 
Shimmering neon lights. It's, I love it. I, they, these fucking helmets have, uh, also have, some of them have like silver, giant horse thick ponytails that go down to their asses. I fucking love this dude. And, and, w- and when we meet their emperor, it, it all is going to make sense, okay? But these guys are fucking tremendous, and I want an action figure of what or something. Like, what a detail. Now, General Souter is their president, all right? He's basically this film's Emperor Palpatine, because he has. He's revealed in a fucking emperor chair in the fucking bridge of this ship, and he spins around, and he's like, well, yes, Mr. President, how's it feel to be my hostage? Uh, <laughs> God damn. This guy is amazing, okay? Now, he's kidnapped a president, a president of some planet, I guess. And he's all like, yes, now you're going to regret doing these things with those taxpayer dollars, Mr. President. Yeah. And I gotta assume this is where George Lucas got the inspiration for the politics of the prequel trilogy, mostly The Phantom Menace. As a matter of fact, I remember uh, what I saw in my youth, an interview with George Lucas on Entertainment Tonight, and he specifically was like, yeah, so, um, the... the the power of myth and storytelling is, is really an inspiration to me. Um, I don't know. The, the film Suburban Commando, uh, when I started writing the prequel trilogy on my little yellow notepad, I, I, I was struck in with this, this lack uh, of, of creative ability. And then I saw a film, a wonderful film. Um, it was directed by uh, Burt Kennedy, who's a director that I saw a lot of Western pictures of when I was a kid, a lot of Western serials. And... It, it was a tremendous opportunity to to really feel the politics of a space world, and 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 then I actually created it myself. Now General Souter here is very close to being John Breckenridge. Now if you don't know who John Breckenridge is, okay, uh, he appe- he's a real person. He appears as a character in the film Ed Wood, portrayed by Bill Murray, but he famously portrays, I believe, in his only film credit, the character of Ruler. From Plan Nine, from Outer Space, who's this? Who's the sassy guy in charge of the aliens? Who's like, yes, well, how, well, how are things going on Earth right now? He's basically Stewie Griffin, okay? Like it's it's the character of Stewie Griffin is this guy in Plan Nine from Outer Space, okay? Like it's kind of the same sort of like, yeah, yeah, oh yes, oh yes, oh I'm sassy, I'm sassy, and I'm Stewie Griffin, you know that sort of thing, okay? General Souter is amazing. Because uh, the president's like, well, you're some sort of an egotistical maniac. He's like, I don't think of myself as egotistical. Proud, maybe. But there's an intruder alert. He spikes the camera. Ramsey. Oh, it's, it's my arch nemesis, Ramsey. Oh, he's here. All right, Mr. President, you want for a show now? I guess these guys have sort of, some sort of a blood feud. Uh, Ship Ramsey is a character that gets a big reveal. It's Hulk Hogan with, I believe, hair extensions or some shit with a robotic fucking sweatband headband and robot armor in piecemeal, giant fists and giant fucking boots and some Nintendo zappers. And it's like, ba 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 Oh, wait, that's fucking Police Academy. <laughs> Yeah, that's Suburb Command. I don't know why. I've never even seen Police Academy. I just know the song. And he fights his way to the bridge. At one point, he puts one of these uh, ponytailed stormtroopers in the Von Erich Claw. It's very impressive. Now, General Souter has some more stormtroopers. Because, you know, you got to sell action figures and shit like this, okay? 
General Souter has the long ponytail uh, fucking craftwork troopers, but he also has an elite corps of troopers on the bridge protecting him that all look like Otho from Beetlejuice. <laughs> and I fucking love it, and I'm here for it, and I don't know what it means, but I fucking <laughs> very entertained by this. Shep shows up, and the emperor, or the emperor, I call him Jesus, General Souter's like, really, Shep, I expected better from you, but here you are, ready to die. Shep is indeed quartered by the Otho Corps, all right? Now, thank God, the pre- the kidnapped president, all right, the man who, who did something illicit with taxpayer dollars to enrage a General Souter. Ladies and gentlemen, I had no idea that in his downtime he cosplayed as X-Men favorite Gambit because the president has a giant fucking knife card in his sleeve, okay? It's like a giant playing card that is a blade, a sharp fucking blade because, and with perfect control, targeting, and just fucking aerodynamics, he throws this thing and it rips the hand, slices right through the entire wrist of General Souter, and this hand is just attached. Another great fucking Star Wars reference here. But God help us all. Some sort of a monster hand starts to emerge from the General's body, and his eyes turn yellow, and he's like, I'm turning into a monster, and I will kill you, Mr. President. Ramsey, upon seeing Olympus has fallen, spikes the camera and is like, Bye now. With some ADR. Oh, a lot of there's a lot of early Hulk ADR in this ship sequence, man. Bye now. He's just not going to rescue him at all. Uh, he escapes through the vents wearing some rocket boots. <laughs> These rocket boots, they're, and there's they're small amount of steam that they press out. But again, I don't care. It's just the right amount of nonsense. Uh, as he's blowing through these tunnels, or the fucking air vents, he's planting some bombs all over the ship. And uh, he enters an escape pod, and and like any cool guy, flies away from an explosion without turning around. But oh my god, this escape pod sequence. <laughs> so he's in the circular escape pod, and it's just spinning around the camera like, woo, like in a giant circle. <laughs> And you can see clear as day that Hulk Hogan, the actor, is in this pod performing his role, not moving his lips, not saying a word, and his ADR chimes into my head stereos, and he's like, come on, come on, stabilize, come on, stabilize, stay with me, come on. And he's just pressing one button over and over again on his computer console. Finally, the camera stops spinning because his own ship catches him in a tractor beam, and he's like, oh. Oh, yeah, dude, that's better. Oh, oh, Jesus. Brother, dude, that was a hell of a spin. We cut immediately to him flying away. Uh, you know, he's in the cockpit and everything and, and what have you. He gets a video call from his boss, I guess, like, Oh, congratulations, Ramsey, you saved millions of people. Yeah, I did, dude. What's next, all right? Well, Shep, I've got to be honest with you. The universe, it's, it's pretty safe these days, man. Come on, dude. There's no intergalactic terrorist or galactic narc duty. All right, fine. How about a big bug hunt with creatures that bleed acid, dude? So this movie knows what it is, all right? They have aped Star Wars completely. They're referencing Alien. They're at least, they know that they're a little tongue-in-cheek. I'm not saying this is genius, okay? But what I'm saying is it's giving me the right tone to not take this seriously at all. It's basically along, like, 
SNL sketch. Like, it's a hyper-reality where, like, nonsense... I don't want to give it too much credit. Like, I'm fucking analyzed it, right? But this movie knows what it's doing. It's a little tug-in-cheek. Now, Jeff's boss is like, Well, Shep, you know, I'll be honest with you. You've kind of been fucking up a lot lately. <laughs> You're a little stressed out, bro. Now I just sound like Professor Charles Xavier, or perhaps Jean-Luc Picard. Ramsey, <laughs> report to the bridge at once. Ramsey, you've been fucking up quite a bit, all right? And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just recommend that we don't do any knock duties or bug hunts. I just want you to fucking chill out and 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 just just take a breath, man. Ship's like, I'm not stressed out, dude! And he punches his ship. Uh, he breaks his fucking, I don't know, something. Uh, and of course, <laughs> his boss is like, Ship, what did you, Ship, Ramsey, what have you done to your ship? Oh, nothing, dude. Everything's just fine. <laughs> you you can't see the can you, dude? Anyway, this this whole fucking nonsense sets up the movie's ticking clock, okay? Because uh, his boss is like, "All right, Chip, your ship's fucked up. It's fine. It's the future. Or we're we're, we're from space. We can fix this. Land on the nearest planet and recharge your battery at point zero one percent. Because you know, man, if you if you charge this intergalactic cruiser, dude, you're gonna set off. And, well, now he just sounds like a dude that says, "Dude, uh, it's gonna uh, you know broadcast a signal like people are gonna be able to track you." Okay, and so Hulk's like, "But dude, that's six weeks in Earth time, dude." Well, all right, Shep, that's fine. Why don't you just fucking relax? And as soon as it says relax, Hulk Hogan whips across the screen like the credit for Hulk Hogan in this summer's best wacky adventure. Um, the whimsical score is like, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. And he's like, Earth. Oh, dude, the nearest planet's Earth. I hate Earthlings. Suburban Commando. And then... The sickest of the needle drops. It's a nice place to live, but I wouldn't want to visit. Hulk Hogan doing the speaking part in a 1991 rap song. It's a nice place to live, but I wouldn't want to visit. It's the man on the moon. I mean, this is a slamming opening tune. All right. I'm quite okay with this presentation. Uh, we meet Charlie Wilcox, Christopher Lloyd, yeah, in his tool shed, sodding some shit. Uh, his daughter's like, Dad, come on, you gotta go to work. Why are you sodding stuff in a suit? She also plays the daughter, the the the, the younger daughter in She's Out of Control, a movie that I fucking love with Tony Danza. La, 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 bamba. If you've seen She's Out of Control, you might get that needle drop that I added in there. If not, you should watch it because it's gonna be a program on this show. Charlie's a put-upon suburban dad, as I'd mentioned, that uh, likes to partake in tool therapy, I suppose, because he spends a lot of time in his, sh- in his tool shed. He goes inside. His wife, Jenny, Shelley Duvall, is automatically like, oh, jeez, Charlie, we got to talk about these bills. Like, it's just generic sitcom bills. So we've got conflict people. We've got white suburban people that are, you know, married and, oh, Charlie, it, 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 it's tough, man. You know, you got you to gotta, you gotta, you gotta get to work, Charlie. You know, just just stuff. I mean, hey, I, I get it, but it's just, it's a sitcom. So we're going from Hogan talking to the camera to a sitcom. And again, this movie at least knows what it, what it is, okay? So uh, Jenny's basically like, dude, 
you gotta you gotta help me do something about these bills. Charlie immediately tries to cower away. All we're missing is the studio audience laughter. And I love how the bills are so nondescript they could potentially be for anything. Alright? Anything. Is it Columbia House has come a call it or something like that? Is a, is a Wilcox family enthusiast of late 80s, early 90s VHS tapes and just has to have every single one. Charlie Les and Mohicans is here! Charlie! Robin Hood Prince of Thieves came today! Charlie, look, it's Dark Man! Ooh, this one's scary! <laughs> Jenny! Jenny, look! It's Camp Nowhere! Oh, I've been waiting for this one! Christopher Lloyd watching Camp Nowhere. That's a meta movie that I would absolutely get behind. But Charlie's like, well, you know, I guess I could ask for a raise at work, Jenny, but, oh, it might not be safe. I could lose my job. And, 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 and you know, I play it safe so I don't lose my job because I have you and the kids without you. And Charlie literally is like, without you and the kids, and he takes this very awkward pause and just turns away to walk. Is Charlie Wilcox about to end it all? <laughs> has, it gone, has it gone that bad? As he's trying to leave, Shelley Duvall puts him in a straight-up chokehold like she's Stanley Kubrick on the set of The Shining and is like, Say it, bitch! Say it! All right, Jenny! I'll ask for a raise at work today! Oh, oh Shelley Duvall, you're choking me! And, and so, you know, that, that ends the introduction of the Wilcox family. Across town, Shep Ramsey's ship hovers above a little building on Earth. The ship's motor is like, rip, 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 puttering out, and the ship straight up does a flare flop through the roof of this building, which is possibly an abandoned roller rink or some sort of nightclub because Shep gets out of his ship, flips like a big lever, and all the electricity turns on, and it's like, a song is like, come on and get funky now, come on and get funky now, and again, Spike in the camera. Earthlings, oh, I hate you, dude. I hate all of you. You know, it's just that sort of thing. Charlie heads himself to work. And this is where we get to meet legendary character actor Larry Miller. But first, Charlie's got to give himself a pep talk outside of his office. Uh, Larry Miller's administrative assistant is a little bit sassy, like, oh yeah, tell yourself that, you fucking loser. I'm sure it'll, ha- sure it'll manifest. Charlie goes to see his boss, it's Larry Miller. He's sitting at his desk with his computer, and he's like, oh, Charlie, how's it going? How's your wife? That's him typing. Julie! Ah, uh, actually, it's Jenny, sir! Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, let me check my computer. Basically, it's shorthand for... This guy's a piece of shit. He doesn't even know his employees. Uh, he he just looks it all up in the computer before they walk in, everything about their life. For example, still learning to tuna fish, are we, Charlie? Uh, I know what you're thinking, Charlie. How does he care so much? How does he know so much? It's because I care about my people, Charlie. Now let's take a look at those blueprints. Larry Miller gets a hold of the blueprints that Charlie has, spreads them across his table, and has what can only be described as an architectural orgasm. He's so excited these blueprints are completed and updated. After his orgasm subsides, though, he looks at Christopher Lloyd and says, Well, Charlie, these are adequate. Oh, what are you talking about? Larry Miller, I updated the specs. I approved the foundations. The dynamicism of these these blueprints, sir. I worked all weekend. Oh, well, I'll tell you what, uh, Charlie. We really appreciate when people work and put in the extra hours. And you know why people people like you put in the extra hours? Because you want to win one of these. Come, look at my Symbian Crystal Awards. 
And it's true. He shows Charlie Bill or Charlie Miller. Larry Miller shows Charlie Cox. Charlie Wilcox. Too many names, man. Some of his awards that are made out of Sibian Crystal. Uh, we'll need those in the uh, third act. Now, Charlie, I understand we're both busy. So if there's nothing else that you want to say to me, hmm? Want to ask for a raise, maybe? I dare you. But Charlie says nothing and uh, goes like a like a loser outside the door. But as he's being exited, it's the early 1990s. So there are some Japanese business people here to conduct business with Larry Miller. Larry Miller's like, oh, geez, you people. He actually says, you people, for God's sakes. All right. And he's uh, schmoozing, but also kind of being a dick to these folks who, of course, don't speak English. But... Out of nowhere, one of the Japanese guys says something in Japanese, which is, I think I'm going to hate this guy, according to the subtitles. And I'm a sucker for subtitles indicating what someone's really saying to someone. And you get a, a translator in the middle who's like all out of sorts, like, um, he said he's really happy to be here. So I'm okay with this. But Christopher Lloyd, Charlie Wilcox, leaves the office a failure, has to drive home during rush hour like most of us do, and wouldn't you know it, we enter a recurring gag of this film. Charlie is heading home, and he's at a stoplight. A stoplight that he has to stop at every day, I would presume, and everybody who's at this stoplight with him in the lanes next to him are sort of stared across like, oh yeah, we're going to do this, we got to go. What are they getting all ready for? Why are they revving up their engines? Why do they look like they're perhaps about to start a NASCAR race? Because... There's another stoplight not too far away that uh, you got to race to to get through. It's one of those types of scenarios. The light turns green. Everybody races forward, including Charlie. But wouldn't you know, as the light turns yellow, he slams on the brakes, almost causing a massive pileup. Somebody's like, oh, get out of my way, you, you dumbass. And he back up. He has to back up in from the intersection to the proper stopping area, defeated. Truly a worthless man. Truly, at the end of his rope, he just needs to get home for some tool therapy, it looks like. Charlie Wilcox isn't the only guy looking to get home, though. Shep Ramsey's looking for home, but he doesn't have one. How can we solve this problem? Well, the first thing you need to do, movie, is drop a needle. Because a sick needle drop happens as Shep Ramsey encounters Earthlings. This song lives in my head rent-free. I don't know why. It's just, it's, hey, nah, hey, nah, now's the time for a little vacation to clear the mind. Almost like paradise. It, It's a rival, although I don't know if it overtakes a similar song that plays in Weekend at Birdies where the movie starts. Some like it hot. Hell yeah. Some never do. Oh, 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 oh. But some like it hot from Weekend at Birdies has the breakdown where the guy who's singing about his vacation and his tropicalness is like, Ooh, yeah, ooh, yeah, ooh, yeah, ooh, yeah. But that movie also has Andrew McCarthy attempting to get mugged, and he's like, Oh, come on, it's too damn hot to get mugged. Here, Shep Ramsey arrives on like Main Street, okay? And he's still wearing his armor, and the musical tune is set to Shep's many, many misadventures here, just trying to walk down the street. Now look, I know this scene is like one minute, and I'm about to talk about it for like ten minutes. Sue me, okay? <laughs> well, that's kind of, that comes later. <laughs> Shep, in his armor, 
a, sees a meter maid parking cop, and the parking cop does a double take like, Whoa? What's this guy doing? Shep then walks past a store, and the, the storefront owner is outside sweeping his property. And this guy has himself a reaction. It's it's unnecessary and over the top. What are you doing? Who are you? What are you doing here? Like he's going to murder him with the broom? This guy is frightened of Shep Ramsey. What are you doing here? But it's all unwarranted. He's just walking. He's not doing anything. Some curious kidsters walk up and start following him at a close nature. Some babes check him out. They don't know if they should be turned on or laugh. One babe's jogging. Because, you know, it's the 90s and we're jogging. And runs into Chef Ramsey and she's like, Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see you there, big guy in this future arbor. And then the babes are joined by the jogging babe, who I guess knows these previous babes. And a fourth babe comes out of the grocery store like, Hey, babes, did you see that guy? The babes are like, Yeah, we did. Oh, my God, what's wrong with him? Next, a businesswoman. Because she's wearing, like, a woman's business suit is attempting to purchase... This woman's made a couple of mistakes here. The first thing is try to purchase an RC Cola. The second mistake she's made is picking this RC Cola machine because apparently it's taken her money. And two things. She's either Scrooge McDuck and can't stand to lose a dime or she spent her last dime on this RC Cola because she is having a struggle with this machine fighting as if her last breath is at stake. My money! This machine took my money! She's kicking it. She's trying to shake it. She needs this money back now. It's like it's the last 60 cents she has to her name and insulin is on sale for 60 cents and she's out and she's going to die. Shep! Upon seeing this woman's plight, just punches the RC Cola machine, breaking the change dispenser, and a whole bunch of change flies out, and now the kidsters no longer want to follow Shep Ramsey because there's all this money. And the business lady's like, thanks, because she's got her 60 cents back. Now, Shep walks past a delivery man, and the delivery man must not approve of Shep's battle armor, or he's confused by Shep's battle armor, because he says... Guess you're not shopping off the rack, huh, buddy? It's not that funny, but it's worth mentioning. And then the final conundrum. Shep meets Ralph the dog. Now, Ralph the dog is a dog who's in a truck in the front seat with a muzzle over his beak. I don't think beak's the proper term, but I'm leaving it in. Now, Shep notices the dog is barking at a furious pace for his owner, who we'll speak about in just a moment. Shep goes to encounter Ralph and notices the sun is boiling down upon little Ralph based on the angle of which Ralph's owner has parked his vehicle. Suddenly, a voice yells, Shut up, Ralph! Shep turns to find the origins of the voice, and it is coming from a man who's very hungry, enjoying himself some lunch. A man that looks like a fat Jake the Snake Roberts. It's unfucking canny, all right? Now, Ralph is still barking, and Shep approaches Fat Jake the Snake Roberts. The screen wipes, and all of a sudden, we see Ralph now eating the gentleman's lunch. 
And Shep is walking away, no longer in his battle armor, but wearing Fat Jake the Snake's outfit. Which is a ripoff of the Terminator, yes. But wouldn't you know, instead of punching his hand through this guy's chest, all of the Terminator, the camera spins to reveal that Fat Jake the Snake is now sitting nude in his front seat, tied up with the muzzle on, yelling, Ralph! Ralphie! Couple of things here. This muzzle grew exponentially now that it's on a human. Is that something muzzles can do? I don't know. Second, what does Fat Jake the Snake think Ralph can do to help him exit this plight? Seriously, shouldn't he just be yelling, help? Because I feel like if you're yelling, Ralph, if my name's not Ralph and I walk past you, I'm not helping. Third, if he does say, hey, buddy, help, and I'm walking past, am I willing to help a naked, overweight Jake the Snake Roberts in this conundrum? Probably not. So I'm assuming this man is left for dead, which is ironic because the human will be left for dead and the dog is safe. And we all know famously... In Hulk Hogan's next film, Mr. Nanny, he doesn't give a shit about dogs because he lets that innocent dog that gets tossed in the river behind him as he's driving his Harley die an aquatic-based death as it floats to its doom. Shep notices a sign on the corner of the street that says, Apartment for rent, for rent excuse me, with an arrow pointing in the eponymous direction. Shep rips this flyer off takes himself a walk as the song concludes almost like paradise but why not continue the scene i would love to see shep ramsey wandering from sign to sign ripping each one off following the arrows because this arrow is too generic to be the last one you gotta assume because we know this is shelly duvall well we'll know in a minute who put these signs up she can't just place one sign with the arrow there has to be this leads you to this arrow. This leads you to this arrow. How many arrow signs did a ship Ramsey have to encounter before he found the apartment for rent? I don't know, but I'd love to. In the suburbs, Charlie is home, but he's got more shit to deal with. Uh, <laughs> this neighborhood he's into is also sort of a dead ringer for Back to the Future, which makes me just think of Back to the Future. But Charlie lives next door to some fat car-fixing guys, okay? They've got a bunch of, like, race cars around the neighborhood, and they have blocked Charlie's driveway, which I don't even think is legal. And Charlie just lets it go like a bitch. He's like, move your car, fat guys! And they're like, eh, park on the street. He parks on the street, and a dangerous driver who drives way too fast in the neighborhood and doesn't obey stop signs almost rips Charlie's car door off and almost kills the man. Now we meet Charlie's neighbor on the other side, my favorite character in the film, the Colonel. Where did this trope come from of the wacky military guy who hangs out in his front yard all day? But I've seen it in a lot of films. I mean, I can't cite any sources right now, and they're not always sitting in the front yard. Sometimes you knock on a door and a crazy Colonel guy opens who's wearing his military gear who's like, get in here, there's Charlie's everywhere. Charlie's in the trees. What are you doing knocking on my door, soldier? But I want to know where this trope came from. Now, it shouldn't be funny because these people clearly need help. But I'm going to let this one slide because the colonel that lives next to Christopher Lloyd is wearing his army helmet. He's got himself some traveling booze and he's sitting in a parked military jeep that I would assume is always in the front yard. Now, the colonel dispenses some advice to Charlie Wilcox. Wilcox, you should have let him take your door to see what it does to that little fucking piece of metal he drives around. 
They would have taken the door off, Colonel! It's called acceptable losses, Wilcox! Your car door is one! Your freedom is not! And as he says, your freedom is not, he spills a little bit of his traveling booze. Charlie Wilcox finally enters his domicile, plops down on the couch, ready to die. But Shelley Long is here in some sexy question mark lingerie and a giant red wig, ready to seduce a Christopher Lloyd. But he's like, ah, not today, Jenny! It was a bad day at work, you see! I you see you've been watching Dr. Ruth again! Because you're a housewife! I just need to get to my tools, I need to get to my shed, and everything will be better! So Charlie Wilcox puts on his comically oversized welding mask, walks out to his tool shed, throws open the door, and yells, Jenny! Now Jenny and Marty both end in the E sound, so Jenny is dangerously close to Marty! Shelly Long has decided to fix the financial problems of the Wilcox household. She's converted the tool shed into a rentable domicile. I don't know, because I think a domicile has to have, like, a toilet and what have you. But she's like, don't worry, Charlie, your tools are still here. And she opens up a closet door and all the tools fall out. So who's going to rent this apartment with no closet space? Now the doorbell's ringing, and Christopher Lloyd is all out of sorts. He throws open the door to see a giant... Hulk Hogan on his doorstep. I'm here to rent the apartment, dude. Oh, uh, honey, it's for you. And folks, just like that, Shep Ramsey is now officially a tenant of the Will Cox family living out in the old tool shed. Now, I'm assuming the film took some liberties here and skipped the part where they did the background check on Shep Ramsey and also the part where he, you know, turns over and writes the checks for the first and last month's rent. But hey, that's fine. It's time for dinner in the Wilcox household. But first, Shep Ramsey has a question for the Wilcoxes. Are these yours, dude? Sure enough, he's, he's just grabbed both children, trying to understand what they are. But it is a dinner scene, and looks like Hulk Hogan has traded in his namesake to become Hulk Hungry. Because boy, oh boy, is he going to town on the chow provided by Shelley Duvall. Uh, they're like, Mr. Ramsey, where are you from? France, dude! Because, <laughs> you know, the Coneheads are from France, Shep's from France. It's just funny. Is it okay to have more? <laughs> it is okay to have more, Shep. You go ahead and smother that plate with mashed potatoes and dip that bread into the gravy. That night, though, Charlie Wilcox is curious about his new tenant. Ooh, tenant. All I can offer you is a word and a gesture. Tenant. The movie's really intensely got its head up his own ass, doesn't it? I'm looking at you, Tenet. Do I dare tackle Tenet on Junkman? I don't know. But Charlie's peeping on Shep, and Shep's hiding his guns and his armor all around his uh, little bedroom here, and then heads out on a little journey. So Charlie takes this opportunity to play with Shep's laser, and whoopsie! Charlie accidentally shoots the laser and destroys one of his neighbor's very expensive race cars. And this leads us to space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Undertaker and the other guy because the blaster that Charlie fired is a traceable power source. Some dudes that look like they work for the fucking First Order are like, we've identified a power source. And then two bounty hunters walk in. Same guys like, bounty hunters, we don't need this scum. 
<laughs> I'm kidding. He doesn't say that. And the bounty hunters are the Undertaker and the other guy who looks like a bruiser. They didn't get a full trace on the energy source, but Taker and other guy have at least a star chart that they can follow to see if they can narrow down the planet where Shep Ramsey is hiding. The next morning, Charlie's giving himself a little pep talk while he's shaving. Oh, Darth Vader lives in my tool shed. Oh, I'm just going to go out there and say, okay, Darth, you have to leave. You can't be here around my family. He does go outside and Shep is just doing some fucking weight training using Charlie's big, powerful, heavy tools as weights. Oh, Mr. Ramsey, Shep, dude. I told you to call me Shep. Uh, never mind, Shep. I gotta go. Because, you know, you can't fucking intimidate this guy. You can't kick this guy out. He's gonna kick you out. So Charlie and the kids leave, and Shep hears a scream penetrating from the Wilcox residence. It is Shelley Duvall. She's like, oh, Mr. Ramsey, because he grabs her. She's watching Marsha Warfield, and it's all about screaming for your health. You want to watch, Mr. Ramsey? The doorbell rings. Shep pulls a knife. Where did he get the knife? Uh, you know, he has all sorts of interactions and shenanigans with the mailman. The paper boy throws a paper at him and it's like, ha ha, bullseye. Shelly Duvall goes back inside. Shep throws the newspaper at the same boy and bullseye, smartass. Can you believe that a Hulk Hogan said a smartass? You know, I, pro- I probably should have prefaced this whole next sequence is just like the fucking misadventures of Shep Ramsey in suburbia. I guess you could say he's the Jesus of suburbia, perhaps the son of rage and love, the Bible of none of the above on a steady diet of soda pop and riddle lead. All right, no more Green Day. But we cut to some skateboarding kids. Now, this is appropriate because it's 1991. If this was 2022, you might be watching Black Adam, which also had fucking Skateboard Kid, the superhero. Fuck that movie. I'm so done with it. Uh, but these kids are are talking to the little Wilcox boy. I think his name is Mark. And this kid says, hey, let's go see your big guy. Your big guy? How has rumor pray tell spread about Shep Ramsey? He's been there a day. But your big guy? Oh, well, fuck it. They want Shep to skateboard. Sure enough, he gives it a shot. Comically falls in slow motion and cracks the pavement because, you know, he's a big guy gosh, my mom can do a better job than that. So Shep takes this kid's skateboard and Superman tosses it into orbit. Like, literally into orbit. We'll see it in space later. Does he have superpowers? I realize we're in a hyper-realized world and that's sort of what makes this movie work. But now I'm just confused because later we'll see Charlie Wilcox put on Shep's glove and it gives him super strength. How does Shep have the super strength without the gloves? Or, or, should someone just smack me across the face and say, it's a Hulk Hogan movie from 1991, go fuck yourself, don't worry about it, because I'm okay with that. But what this does, though, is it gives the colonel, who's sitting in his Jeep on his front yard, the opportunity to jump in. Great strength, piss-ass balance. Sip, sip. Now, the colonel... And Shep immediately hit it off, all right? The colonel's like, I'm commander of the 94th Fighting Beagles. Who the fuck are you? Ramsey, Niplon, first class palander of the Secret Strike Force 119, under the guidance of Zanuck Vivian, supreme doctrine of rule through Veda 9. Veda 9, huh? Well, things have really changed since 44. However, 
I just want to point out, I'm all for, like, world building, you know? I like that uh, fucking Poe Dameron's, like, commander of the resistance, black team, black leader, all that shit. I'm into it. <laughs> Niplon First Class Palander of the Secret Strike Force 119. Sounds like something Jesse Ventura would also claim he belongs to. I was in Secret Strike Force 119, Monsoon. Me and Chico Santana were running black ops across the border while you were stuffing your face with hot dogs. But I I do at least understand the word palander, kind of. Does this mean Shep is a paladin? Because if you're playing a video game, a paladin is a character that's designed to tank, to sit there and basically take the hits, dealing moderate damage. Perhaps you can cure yourself and cure some of your allies weekly as well. So Shep's basically a human shield for all those who are looking for me to put it in real terms. So in these galactic space wars, Ramsey just runs to the front line. And he's like, come on, brother dudes, hit me. Come on, let's see what you can do. These 24-inch pythons, brother. I'm a paladin secret strike force come on come on hit me anywho charlie is back at the stoplight with the same people doing this i think we're just reusing footage folks i think we're just reusing the footage from earlier but they interject this here to show that charlie like this i told you it's the recurring thing charlie versus the stoplight but he comes home from work that's what they're trying to tell us and Back home, as Charlie's arriving, Shep and the Colonel are just swapping war tales, which I like. But the race car from his neighbors is still in the way. And Charlie's like, I can't park in my driveway! So Shep lifts the car out of the way so Charlie can park in the driveway. And this is it. This is everybody's favorite part. This is the scene that everybody remembers. Because the fat mechanic guys, covered in grease, you know, are enraged by the fact that Shep picked up their car. Now, fat guy who, I guess, owns the place tosses his beer can in a bush like, I ain't traveling with this road soda, but the guy behind him follows suit as well, like this is just our garbage bush. And, of course, they get face-to-face. Those things are worth three... Oh, wait, that's the Hulk Hogan voice. These things are worth $30,000. You know what I'm going to do? If there's one scratch on them, let me guess. You're going to pound my face, break me into little pieces, and feed me to a warthog, dude. What are you, nuts? This is the 90s. We go sue ya. It's a big trailer line. Everybody remembers it, but it is pretty hilarious. Now the dangerous driver is back, because you got to remember, that's the sequence of events in suburbia. Get into a conflict with the race car guys, talk to the colonel, and then the car guy arrives. Oh my goodness, though. We actually get to spend a minute with the guys in the car. They're a couple of bros, because they, they talk like this. But one of the bros says to the driver, Check it out! Wanda lives there! Now folks, no disrespect to anyone named Wanda. But unless your name is Wanda Maximoff, I'm not getting excited for a lady named Wanda. Alright? Charlie's son Mark is in the road skateboarding. Shep Ramsey to the rescue! He dives and rescues Mark from the conflict of man versus, or I guess I should say boy versus car, and saves his life. Shep is pissed. You could tell because Hogan does some some acting here. He makes his lip quiver and pursues the car. He finds it, tips it over. Charlie Wilcox is like, Shep! Shep! Oh, don't kill those guys, Shep! There'll be all sorts of paperwork we got to fill out. So Shep lets them live, but spins their car like a top or like a helicopter. Shep Ramsey in the street going to push that car around, spinning like a helicopter. That was lame. 
As a reward for the rescue of Mark, the Wilcox family bakes Shep Ramsey a chocolate cake. He's like, what is this? People eat this stuff? <laughs> and he starts to pick up the cake in its entirety and start consuming it. Charlie Wilcox sets up a timer on a camera and they take a family portrait. And folks, I want... Because the picture takes, the movie's like, and it kind of shows us what the picture looks like. I want this picture... I want it blown up to a decent size. I want it framed. I want it on my wall or on a mantle. So when people come to visit me, they could be like, who's this? And I could be like, oh, that's my cousin in California and their fucking tenant. <laughs> and I want people to be like, oh, that guy kind of looks like Hulk Hogan. For me to be like, oh, yeah, I bet he gets that all the time. Just playing it off as it's my own by knowing in the back of my head, I'm getting one over on this visitor. That night, snap, snap, Shep sneaks out once again, but this time, Charlie follows him around town. And we get some nighttime suburban escapades. Shep runs afoul on a, of a purse thief. Some dudes try to steal a lady's purse. He rescues, throws the guy to dumpster. He then gets too close to a nice car. And gets in a fight with a car alarm. He actually rips the car alarm out of the car. And then, ladies and gentlemen, thus proving once again we're in a hyper-reality. It's like an episode of The Simpsons or Family Guy is basically the world of this movie. And I'm fine with that. Because we've sort of established those rules via different manner here, okay? But this really is the icing on the cake. Because the car alarm begins communicating with Shep directly. No. Wait. Please. Uh, my mistake. You can stand as close as you want. In fact, take the car. Stomp. No, let's talk about this stomp. Oh, Lord. I've fallen, and I can't get up. Yes, that's what the car alarm says. Yes, it's a play on that commercial. It's the 90s in a nutshell, but I love it. And then we meet, if the colonel's the best ancillary character, no, you know what? It's between the colonel and this guy. Mr. Mime! No, not a Pokemon that looks creepy. Mr. Mime got a little bit of shine in that Detective Pikachu movie. Perhaps coming soon to Junkman. I've got problems with that film. But Mr. Mime! It's a mime who's in the fucking suburbs. And he even comes with his own theme music. Boom, boom, boom. And, and that's one of the best parts about Mr. Mime and his shenanigans here in suburbia. Like, he's doing mime shit, and Shep interacts with him multiple times, which we'll cover. Okay, I promise. But the music adds so much to it. So, this go-around, Mr. Mime is sort of like placing his hands in front of him, like he's, I don't know, touching a glass window or something like that. Shep, confused, I guess they don't have mimes on other planets, must be a case of a force field. Don't worry, I'll break you out of there. Mighty Shep Ramsey punch, which, judging from the skateboard, should shatter this man's face into pieces. But the Mr. Mime character falls on his ass, shades of the Shockmaster. And Shep's like, all right, glad I could help, dude. And goes about his very business. Mr. Mime spikes the camera. Maybe I should stick to juggling. Eventually, Shep is done wandering around town. For now, he goes to check on his ship. It's only got 30% charge. 
still some time to go. In fact, we get some more sassy technology like the car alarm. The computer's like, 21 days till recharge. You are stuck here. Shep's like, oh, brother. And he leaves. This, of course, gives Charlie the opportunity to play with the ship after Shep leaves. And I'll give Christopher Lloyd a little bit of credit here. His eye acting is on point. Now, what does that mean? Christopher Lloyd's just doing shit with his eyes, like, Oh, is that a spaceship? Oh, I'm inside the spaceship. Is this some sort of blaster? Oh! He sits down and pretends to fly, like, But, I mean, who hasn't wanted to fly the Millennium Falcon? Shep, meanwhile, is on his way home, and he hears a laser blast. Now, folks, I cannot explain why Shep Ramsey, the person, does this. But as he hears this laser blast, he leans up against the wall like he's Solid Snake. You know, like, gonna just, gonna, gonna see, gonna get, you know, check my, check my view and see if there's any guards around. But he holds an imaginary gun in his hands. Like, he doesn't have a gun. So if this, is this nature versus nurture? Is he, like, so ingrained with being a paladin that he leans against the wall like, Oh, dude, I got my gun. Oh, wait, I don't have a gun, dude. But he's, he's acting like he has a gun. And then he jumps forward like he's going to shoot somebody, but it's just a video arcade, and that's where the laser blasts come from. But what's with the imaginary gun? Now, a kid is playing Afterburner. Afterburner, of course, kind of like a Top Gun video game, okay? You're in a jet. Like, it's very much a, and I'm doing the finger quotes, a realistic video game, because you're a jet, it's like you're a jet pilot, you're like Maverick. Now, John Connor famously plays this game in Terminator 2 Judgment Day when he's hanging out at the arcade with Budnick. God, I love Salute Your Shorts. One of my all-time favorite shows. Deal with that. And I, you know, it's sort of this nice little meta moment in Terminator 2 because John Connor's like going to be a military strategist and a soldier and he's playing Afterburner. Here, we've got a fucking dipshit-looking kid who's having a conniption fit playing Afterburner. Now, what they've done is they've they've made it seem as if Afterburner has some sort of a narrative attached to it, okay? Because this kid is like, oh no, I have to fight Dragos! Which I guess is supposed to be like a space monster you would fight in a sci-fi jet game. Now, upon hearing that Dragos is on the loose, Shep Ramsey springs into coach mode. Use your phasers! I can't! I'm in hyperspace! What about photon torpedoes, dude? Dragos absorbs photons! He gets more power! I love how the kid says it, too, because he's so out of sorts. Dragos absorbs photons! He gets more power! It's over! It's never over! Shep Ramsey takes the control stick. Give it up, Dragos! Give it up! Give it up, Dragos! Oof! Oof! Give it up, Dragos! Give it up, Dragos! And the machine, the arcade machine, is really taking a pound here. And here we have our third example of sentient machinery. The arcade machine kind of internally explodes. A fucking panel opens on the side of the arcade cabinet. And a white flag comes out like, I've had enough, Shep Ramsey. You win. Kid's like, well, you're really good at this game. A game? Brother, I didn't know this was no game, dude. I didn't know I was playing against a Dragos, dude. You know, my contract stipulates that I always have to win, brother. And and I'm going to go ahead and execute my creative control and indicate that Dragos is real. And I indeed was successful against a real Dragos. The kids all laugh at him and he flees the scene. Guess what happens next? Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Do, do, 
Mr. Mime is back, and he's trying to climb an imaginary rope. Oh, hey, brother, let me give you a hand. And Mr. Mime gets tossed up. Glad I could help again, dude. And Mr. Mime, no more working nights, crashes down from wherever he was thrown. Now, back at the ship. Charlie finds the battle armor of Shep Ramsey, and he, he puts on the glove that gives him super strength. He puts on some x-ray glasses, and he sees through the wall, folks, a woman is about to get raped here in Suburban Commando. Let's make no bones about it. In fact, one of the dudes kind of looks like Terry Funk. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying he looks like Terry Funk. Now, this makes me feel like, based on the fact that Shep Ramsey earlier stopped a mugging, and now... Charlie is encountering a rape scenario. Are we in the suburbs of Gotham City? Because it may be the only thing that makes sense. But Charlie has an idea. He springs into action. Let the woman go! And he's in full body armor. Terry Funk takes a shot. And uh, uh, I was a Shep. Charlie is indeed bulletproof. But the impact of the bullet sends comically... Charlie falling backwards. He then presses what I guess is the dance button on the battle armor because he does a half spit of Rudy and then the worm flies up into the air, lands on the bad guys, and knocks them out. The babe who was about to be raped. Alright? It's like Charlie. Oh, he's just like Charlie. She's like, oh, is there anything I can do for you? Anything at all. No, ma'am, that's quite alright. I don't know that I could even get my cock out in this armor. But here's the problem, folks. When Charlie activated the dance button, he sent a signal to outer space. We cut to outer space. A skateboard flies past a little ship. And sure enough, the Undertaker and his bounty hunter brother, Cade, are indicated on a little monitor that fucking the energy signal is traceable and they're heading towards Earth. Just want to put this out there, though. Do the bounty hunters' faces have to be so greasy? Are they fixing their ships 24-7? But nonetheless, they're heading to suburbia. So the next morning, Shep wakes up to the sounds of suburbia. He's pissed. He opens the door and yells, Quiet! And just like in a fucking cartoon, all the sound just evaporates. But Shep's up, so he might as well peruse the neighborhood. He sees a girl. She's like, My cat! My cat! Shep decides to give this maiden a hand and gets the cat, uh, pulls the branch down, and the girl's like, that's not my cat! Oh! Let the branch go! Slingshot cat! And the maiden runs away with a handy tale to tell. Hulk spikes the camera. I hate suburbia! Stop the that's the transition music, by the way. Hulk turns the corner in the city, and he's holding his stomach like, Oh, dude, brother, I need some protein. And there's an old woman at a fruit stand who teaches Shep how to find ripe melons. Shep goes in for the squeeze. Melon explodes on her face. Wow, I found a good one, dude. Everybody knows this scene. It's classic. It's from the trailer. Wow, what could be better than the old fruit lady? Boom, boom, boom. Mr. Mime is back and he's pulling himself forward on a rope. Shep's like, hey, dude, you need some help? No, it's just a gag. You can have the rope. Leave me alone. I love that Mr. Mime offers him the rope because there's not really one. 
Shep's heading to the landing pad, the place where he landed, kind of his pad. Fuck me, I just now got that joke. God damn it. But I'm like, didn't he just check? Didn't he just fucking go the night before and check? I mean, that was Charlie Wilcox night around town in the fucking body arbor. Shep went, oh, uh, it's fine. You know what? It's fine. You remember the last airbender in Morbius? Okay, this is like fucking Citizen Kane compared to that, so I'm just going to let it go. But he checks his power readings, and he's like, Whoa, dude, look at my computer. There's bounty hunters. I couldn't make heads or tails or figure out how he could uh, analyze that there's bounty hunters inbound, but sure enough, he does. He's looking for his armor, and he finds a couple of pieces, but clearly something is off. So we smash cut to Charlie Wilcox's office right outside Larry Miller's room. And Shep emerges and talks to Larry Miller's administrative assistant, or a secretary, because administrative assistant is a lot of extra syllables for a Johnny C. Where's Charlie Wilcox? I need to talk to him, dude. He's in a meeting and can't be disturbed. Take a seat. I need him right now, lady. Take a seat. Hulk's like, and smashes some stuff on the desk, but he does walk away. Couple things here. Marge, as Shep walks away, is like, oh my god, I almost died. She also, kind of in a way, looks like Linda Hogan. So, good casting, because we'll see that later. Now, Shep comes back around the corner carrying a bench. You know, take a seat. Eh? <laughs> Yeah, he's pretty much just doing Drax at this point, but Drax is like 30 years away, so I'll take it. Uh, Larry Miller emerges from the office with the members of Kai and Tai, per use. He sees Shep carry the bench, and he's like, oh, it's here. Like he's been expecting this delivery. That's why Larry Miller rules. I bet that wasn't even the script. That's just Larry Miller doing his thing. He's like, all right, Kai and Tai, well, I'm going to accept this delivery. Uh, go get ready for the big party tonight. Bonsai, bonsai, bonsai. Takes one look at Hogan, looks over at Marge, and he's like, All right, Marge, save it for your lunch hour. <laughs> like, I don't want these big bubbas coming here to fuck you during work hours. <laughs> Take it off campus. Uh, he tells Charlie, that being Larry Miller, that he needs blueprints finished tonight before the party. Shep gets a hold of Charlie right in front of old Marge, because that's the secretary's name. Where's my N210 algorizer, dude? I need it right now. Oh, Shep, I'm really sorry. I lost it. Come on, dude, brother. I need that shit to save the universe, dude. Now, Shep is really pissed, and he's got Charlie by the throat, and Marge reveals that she just has a hand cannon pointed right at him. Take it outside. So they do. They head to the scene of the previous night's rape attempt. Uh... <laughs> Great gag here is Charlie's fumbling with his keys and Shep just rips the door off. But then Charlie still has to get the keys out of the door that's on the floor. They go to this warehouse where the rape was or what or wasn't. Um, but, you know, at least now, though, we're doing buddy comedy stuff, okay? Because on the way, Shep's like, Dude, you know I'm an international fucking gangster, right? And, and you know what you did, Charlie? You might have saved that girl from an unwarranted penetration, brother. But what you also did was you let Kane and the Undertaker know where I'm staying and rest of my head at, brother. And what are you going to do when these 24-inch pythons can't protect you? But they, they can't find the fucking device at the uh, rape location. Shep's like, whoa, wait a minute. I got an idea. Now, Shep digs into Charlie's glove box. And he pulls, pulls out a PKE meter from Ghostbusters, okay? Now, I don't even care that it's Charlie's car and Shep had it in there, all right? I don't. 
But upon revealing that they can track the energy source with this little PKE meter, uh, PKE meter, Charlie <laughs> spikes the camera and he's like, "Why didn't we just use that from the start?" Hogan looks defeated. Shut up, dude. <laughs> it's great. It's I mean, it's not great, but it's good enough. I mean, that's what I would do in a situation like that. Sorry, to scratch my ear there. It was really fucking itchy for the, like the last 45 minutes. And if I didn't do something about it, I was going to scream. Oh, I'll tell you what, headset dude. What are you doing? Making earwax build up in a Johnny Z's ear. We're just trying to entertain the millions. Hey, millions, dude. Oh, shit. Rock. I'm sorry. I, I stole your catchphrase, brother. We now head to what I'm assuming is the first national bank of Gotham City. Because they trace the energy signal here and everybody is frozen. All right, everyone, chill, chill. It's time to break the ice. What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. Clever little Clover. Sing. Come on, sing. Sing. Take two of these and call me in the morning. (laughs) Am I out of Mr. Freeze? Let's kick some ice. Am I out? Grab the gem! Kill the heroes! I'll kill you next time! (laughs) I could do this all day. Oh, wait, no, that's the rope. Anywho, everybody's frozen. Uh, Complete with jingle bells, jingle bells, a jingle all the way. On the soundtrack, as Charlie and Shep look at all the people in the Gotham City Bank that are frozen. And if you didn't know it was a bank, you can tell because it's nothing but old white people in here frozen. Now, Terry Funk... His attempted rape didn't go the way he wanted, but hey, now that he's got a freeze ray, he's robbing a bank with the other guy, all right? But this also means the bounty hunters will surely find them all. Now, they get into a fisticuffs here, and Shep invents the fucking table spot as he sidewalk slam powerbombs, not Terry Funk, through a table. But Terry Funk still has the ice gun, and you know what he does? He shoots Shep Ramsey with it, and Shep is covered in, like, icy steam, only to reveal... Gulp, 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 gulp. And he freezes. I can't even do it. I can't fucking do the gag without picture in my head. Because, yes, the gag is Shep is drinking antifreeze. I don't know where he got it. I don't care. We've been in a cartoon for a while now, okay? But here's why I'm laughing. The size of Hulk Hogan's mouth, as he says, antifreeze cannot be ignored. It grows in size like three times. It's unbelievable. Science be damned. Hulk Hogan's mouth is doing things the human mouth should not be able to do. But Shep wins this struggle, but unfortunately Charlie took a hit, and he's now frozen. Oh, Charlie, dude, you're frozen. No time to be sad because an explosion rocks the Gotham City National, and through Hellfire and Brimstone, it's Kane and The Undertaker. Because Kane and the Undertaker are here. The bounty hunters have traced the source. Uh, Shep locks him in the vault, though. Grabs Charlie's frozen body and scurries away. (laughs) And I do mean scurries. Smash cut to Shep driving Charlie's tiny car with Charlie hanging out of the sunroof completely frozen. We've either got some great mannequin work here or Christopher Lloyd is just standing very still. Either way, I'm laughing. Back at the hideout, the uh, the drop-in, or whatever the fuck, landing pad, that's it, because his ship dropped in, so that's why I confused. At the landing pad, Charlie is unfrozen, but Shep is like, Brother, dude, they're here. 
Oh, ship, you can't just run away! You know, you're supposed to fight these guys! Are you some sort of military man or, or a superhero? No time for a cultural discussion, dude. We gotta do something, because if those bounty hunters are here for ten minutes listening to those ice cream trucks running around your neighborhood, they're gonna blow up your town! Cut! To a motor vehicle that's decorated with balloons and streamers and a sign that says, Just Married! And it's The Undertaker and Kane. Now, Undertaker and Kane have stopped off at a local establishment called Surf Burger that's proudly serving RC Cola. So did RC sponsor this thing? Like, could you fucking go get a 12-pack in 1991, a collector's can of RC Cola with fucking Hulk Hogan and Christopher Lloyd on the side? No, suburban commando cans. Collect all four. The Undertaker, Hulk Hogan, Christopher Lloyd, and Shelley Duvall. Editor's note, we've just been informed... Only the Shelley Duvall cans remain. <laughs> I wonder why. But this establishment is a fast food joint called Surf Burger. And we're in the drive-thru. And the Surf Burger dude's like, Whoa, welcome to Surf Burger. You want like a Wipeout Burger or like a Aloha Burger? But suddenly he stops talking. I guess this guy has a camera because he can see the hunters of destruction, if you will. And he stops trying to sell him burgers and he's like, Whoa, congratulations, you guys got married. And you know what? The only gag here is the hunters of destruction take their lasers out and shoot the fast food menu board. Like, clearly just annoyed with this guy's voice. But they didn't make a gay joke! At least not an outright gay joke, because the dude's like, Whoa, congratulations! And I rewound it a couple times to track for sarcasm, or some sort of mockery, and I didn't pick anything up. So good for you, 1991! Yay! Back at the landing pad, Charlie's like, Well, Shep, if you're going to leave so the bounty hunters will follow you, I guess this is goodbye. I don't do goodbyes, Charlie Wilcox, dude. I'm getting out of here, though, but holy shit, brother, my engine just exploded like it did. So we got to fight, dude. So yeah, Shep's engine explodes because he tries to, I guess, leave early. Back in fucking Shep's tidy apartment, He's all like, well, Charlie, guess we're going to have to fight the bounty hunters. I got an idea, though, dude. You could be the decoy. Now, this battle suit can take two direct hits. And then we get some trailer lines. Oh, I don't know, Shep. I'll just your landlord. I can bring you extra soap if you need it. Maybe stop the occasional bank robbery. But electric bounty hunters are out of my league. It's your fault they're here, little man. No, it's your fault. You brought your alien grudge match here. And then... The moment arrives, and you know what? It's here. The moment we've all been waiting for, and I, I forgot there was a first part to this moment. It's kind of like the old, Luke, I am your father. Like, that's not the actual line. The actual line is, no, I am your father. Because everybody always says, I was frozen today. But everybody forgets that right before he says it, Christopher Lloyd says, Christ, I was frozen today! Fine, it's not my problem. Was there any other way we could do this, Shep? Any other way we could save the day? Not unless you got 40 pounds of Simeon Crystal, brother. See? Charlie spikes the camera like, say, I think I do know where I can find some Simeon Crystals. But it's tuxedo time. And you know what? Instead of having Charlie just look at the camera, if I was writing, I would have thrown in, well, what size suit do you wear? And then we cut to them in their nice suits at the 
you know, the the because we're going to the party, the party that Larry Miller is throwing for fucking Kai and Ty, all right? That's his whole thing. Because if you remember, Larry uh, Miller has some Simeon Crystals in his awards. And at this party, Marge is here. She clearly wants to fuck Shep. She's like, sorry, this party, this party is so dull. You know, I'd much rather be watching football. Now, Shep, remember, is an alien. He doesn't know what football is. He's like, football? Yeah, what's better than a bunch of beefy, burly boys beating the crap out of each other trying to score? Oh, yeah, she is hot to chop, but the boys have to keep going. They get in an elevator. Now, folks, I don't know how to explain this, but as they get in the elevator and the elevator door closes, there's one of the strangest edits in a film I've ever seen. Like, it goes black, and then it just cuts right back up. And and Charlie and and Shep share a moment in the elevator where Charlie where Shep's kind of like you know what Charlie dude, being on Earth with a family is actually not a bad deal. You kind of got some good things going here. I don't know. I feel like like I didn't look anything up. This is just my film nerd shit. But like the way this edit happens is this like some sort of deleted scene that got put back in the home video version that wasn't cut into. Like I don't know. I might be overthinking this, but it's a bad cut. It's a really really bad cut. And we'll continue this. Is this some sort of special edition deleted scene here in just a moment? Because I got another thing that kind of bugs me. Not bugs me, but that stood out to me. Larry Miller is uh, smoozing the fucking Kintai contingent here at the party. Shep and Charlie get into his office, but there's no crystals. They take a risk and use the x-ray binoculars to try to find them, and they do. The crystals are upstairs in the new wing that's being built. Here's what I'm talking about with the special edition deleted scenes added in. The bounty hunters, or hunters of destruction, Undertaker and Kane, land on the roof. And look, I'm not saying the special effect is good. In fact, the backdrop is kind of bad. But it looks a lot better than I felt like it should. And I've got this conspiracy theory that, like, the director of Suburban Commando, the guy who makes all the westerns, you know, was like, well, you know, my my vision for Suburban Commando, I was never really able to realize it. So in 2001, when we released the DVD, I went back and I added in the elevator scene, and I completed the scene of the bounty hunters landing. Because those scenes really are the glue that holds together the Suburban Commando narrative. Maybe I'm not. Or maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm not. Who knows? Larry Miller is now showing off the crystals to Anoki and Okada, or Kai and Tai. We get some more subtitle shenanigans. Charlie runs in to distract everybody and get them away from the crystals, and Shep runs in with a garbage bag and just fills it up with some crystal, which could also describe something Hulk Hogan may have done on a Friday night. Allegedly unconfirmed. But fuck me sideways, Margie is back with her goddamn gun! She's ready to kill a fucking Hulk Hogan and a Christopher Lloyd, but the Hunters of Destruction blast through another wall, and now they have Super Mario movie boots. You know, like the flying boots that Mario and Luigi wear? Damn those plumbers! But Shep has a metal rod. He hits the guns, so it's not going to be a gunfight, but Kane takes the metal rod and bends it. Undertaker takes it from Kane and bends it back to the way that it was. Shep takes the rod back and bends it into a balloon animal, buddy. I don't care. He then hits Kane with some Vader strikes, like the... And Kane falls through the floor. Taker activates his jet boots and hits a spear. They land in a room, and the Undertaker has a mouth 
full of nails. He spits them at Chet Bramsey and then hits the clothesline from space. Undertaker unsheaths a knife gauntlet, but Chet Bramsey sticks paper clips in the boots of the Undertaker, and the Undertaker starts to fly through every ceiling in this building. The Undertaker's face, man, like the acting he's doing as he flies through every ceiling here is ridiculous, and you have to see it to believe it. Like, specifically, just pay attention to his face. Kane pulls Hogan down from the, the, the floor he got landed on and hits a spear. Lots of spear in this match. The agent must not have talked to these guys. We then cut to the Undertaker, still flying through ceilings with his face, but he stopped when he flies into a bathroom, a, a ladies' room, because a bunch of ladies ran out, and his face has to land in a vagina because he walks out of the bathroom with a toilet on his head. I guess there are worse ways to go. No, actually, no. no that is uh, that makes it sound like I'm into pee stuff. I'm not. <laughs> it was just a joke. Huh. Anywho, uh, Undertaker. No, wait. Where, where, see, this is why you don't improv. You lose your spot on your notes. Oh, Kane and Shep are fighting in an elevator shaft, and the elevator starts to come flying down. Uh, Hogan gets out of it, but Kane is squished. I guess that's a wrap on Kane. And the Undertaker was in the elevator. He's inadvertently killed his brother of destruction. What is this, a tag team? <laughs> hey, everybody in the theater, you get it? What is this, a tag team? You know, because I'm a wrestler, dude. And then another classic moment happens. The Undertaker takes the toilet off of his head and says, You're dead, man, Ramsey. And it's just a little kid's voice. Whoa, no wonder you dudes never talk. Hogan Spears take her onto a tray, like with wheels. The boots are activated. They spin around. It's really 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 dumb like Looney Tunes to the wrong level but Hogan lets go of the spinning and, and the Undertaker just flies into the wall and does a full splat he's like a Looney Tunes imprint on the wall and he's dead that level of Looney Tunes I'm okay with but the spinning was a little ridiculous uh oh though Larry Miller is still waiting for Charlie to come back with the blueprints and Charlie is nowhere to be found Okada wants answers and Larry Miller with some amazing improv. Well, we feel we feel strongly that the building, the building we're making for you, should have floors. And we're also recommending walls. And of course, one man's floor is another man's ceiling. So we're going to have ceilings. But it looks like it's time for Shep Ramsey to end his commando adventures here in suburbia. Charlie now has kind of gotten uh, addicted to this adrenaline. Come on, Shep! You're gonna stay! No, dude. I gotta get out of here and, and make sure Earth is safe. I'm gonna finish fixing the ship with these simian crystals, dude. You go back to my apartment and make sure I didn't leave anything there. Back home, Shelly Duvall. Hey, remember her? She's still in this movie. She's getting ready for bed, but uh-oh. Somebody is breaking in to the Wilcox estate. And you know, it's just General Souter. The movie's not going to reveal it later. But how does General Souter know he's in the right place? He finds the picture of Hulk Hogan with the chocolate cake and the family on the fucking wall. The picture exists. I want it. Give it to me now. Charlie arrives home, sees the, sees the door is ajar. Jenny! Jenny, are you in here? Oh no, General Souter's here. And Charlie's like, oh, I'm sorry, family. Shep's an international bounty hunter. You know, she just try. He just explains everything to the family. Back at the ship, Charlie's here, and Shep's like, good, you're here, dude, but it's a trap! 
General Souter is here! Charlie and the family brought him here because he was holding them hostage, and it's a blaster fight! Souter decides he's going to kill the family. Shep's all like, oh, go ahead, dude. I don't even care, brother. I don't even care about him. Uh, General Souter's like, oh, no, Shep. I know you care because I have the picture, and he brought the picture with him. Oh, somebody give me the last action hero magic ticket so I can just reach my hand in and whoop, take the picture and be on my very fucking way because I want it, and I want it now. But Shep makes a compromise. Let the family go, and uh, I, you can have me. You can have your way with me. I'll just quit the fight. Charlie gets pistol whipped for his troubles, uh, you know. But but sure enough, they they get away to safety. Shep busts out with a gun, and General Souter's like, "Well, that wasn't the deal. Let him go." No wait, that, you know what? Fuck it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter. Shep and Souter have a little bit of a a thing going on. But what Souter doesn't know is that Shep has set the self destruct mechanism on his own ship. General Souter starts monologuing. The Wilcox family is now driving away to safety, but they pull over at a shop that says muffins, cinnamon rolls, and donuts. And fuck me, that sounds amazing. Charlie's like, ah, I've got to go back and help Ship. Shelley Duvall, just trying to be honest, is like, Charlie, you're going to get killed. Christopher Lloyd takes a beat. And this doesn't actually happen in the movie, okay? But we already had Hogan spiking the camera being like, what is this, a tag team? So we all know that wrestling's a thing here. Huge missed opportunity. Shelley Duvall should say, Charlie, you're going to get killed. Christopher Lloyd should take a beat, raise his head up and say, I've got to be a man. I can't let it slide. But it doesn't happen. Back in the battle, there's two minutes until the ship self-destructs. General Souter's just shooting at Shep, playing with his food, like, oh, I can't wait to think of the right way to kill you. But Charlie, shades of the Survivor Series 99, rams his car through the door and hits General Souter, but Shep takes a laser blast. Souter is up, and he has Charlie, but Charlie puts on the glove of power that Shep Ramsey has and hits Souter with a low blow. This causes General Souter to transform. He starts to transform. He rips off his robe, and holy testicle Tuesday, General Souter has turned into the creature from the Black Lagoon's cool cousin from out of town. Seriously? It's like they took the Gill Man, the creature from the Black Lagoon, and poochied him. Because he's got kind of a mohawk, but he still looks like the Gill Man. They just rostified, they just rostified him by like 12%. Charlie's out for the count. Gill Man has the upper hand. There's only 45 seconds left in the movie, or in the blast. Shep is going down for the count, though. 30 seconds, Shep still in danger. 20 seconds, Shep breaks an electrical cable in half and electrocutes Gilman to death, uh, inadvertently causing the party song from earlier to play throughout the fucking landing pad. Uh, the ship explodes. Shep picks up Charlie. They're cool guys that run away from explosions and don't look at it. Looks like the day is saved and truly over, but the cops arrive. How are they going to explain this one? Well, the movie doesn't care, and neither do I. Shep, like a nice guy, tells the family that Charlie should get all the credit for the victory because he saved me, desperately trying to make Charlie Christopher Lloyd attractive to Shelley Duvall. And the kids are like, Dad, you're my hero. The next morning, however, Larry Miller is still talking to Okada. He's talking to him about Mothra and Godzilla. 
Christopher Lloyd arrives half-blown to hell, bangs Larry Miller with his blueprints, and quits his job. Because, you know, in the 90s, you could just do that. The next morning, it's time to wrap some things up in suburbia. Shep is walking around wearing some rainbow Zubaz pants. He approaches an ice cream man like, Hey, brother, can I buy a bomb pop? The ice cream man scurries away in fear. Gotta be a deleted scene where he interacts with that ice cream man. Now the Drago's kid is back. Give it up, Drago's. That little fucking shitster is back. Are you leaving, Shep? Is the galaxy saved? No loose ends? With a couple loose ends, brother. We're going to tie those up right now, though. Because a skateboard kid arrives and taunts Hogan. Hogan cosplays as Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man doing some fucking skateboarding tricks. Does a handstand. It doesn't matter. The kids are super impressed, and Shep could keep his pride. Why not have him talk to the colonel one last time, but whatever. Uh-oh, though. He's accidentally broken this kidster's skateboard. Hogan says, here, take mine. And I swear to God... He hands this kid the pit bull. You know, the pit bull hoverboard from Back to the Future. Did Christopher Lloyd just steal the prop from the set of Back to the Future 2? Huh. Hey, Elizabeth Moss is back, because if you didn't fucking get it earlier when I was laid in so thick with the Handmaid's Tale joke, a young Elizabeth Moss plays the girl with the cat. She's like, my cat! Are you sure this time? Hogan pulls down the branch. Elizabeth Moss reaches for the cat. The cat tries to claw at Shep. Shep lets go of the branch, but uh-oh, Elizabeth Moss is holding on to it. And the fucking Elizabeth Moss kid dummy goes flying into the air. But shades of Mr. Perfect, Hulk Hogan throws an Elizabeth Moss dummy into the air and makes his own catch. He lets the girl go and says, get a goldfish. Now we're on the roof of Larry Miller's building. Damn it, I was really hoping we'd stop by and see Mr. Mime one more time, but he's gone. And it really is time to go this time. What's going to be next for you, Charlie? Well, you know, Sir Shepton will turn up, Shep. The Democrats are about to get back in the office, so things business will probably start pick up. Insane moment here. Marge, the sexy lady with a gun, is here in a futuristic type of dress. Charlie's like, whoa. <laughs> Shep's like, that's right, brother. I'm going to be fucking Marge here pretty soon. Charlie looks at Marge again, then kind of looks back at homely Shelly Duvall, and Shelly Duvall makes this face like, sorry, I'm still Shelly Duvall. It's so bad. I... <laughs> it's time to say goodbye, though, and Shep's like, Charlie, you too good to say goodbye, brother. They shake hands, and it's truly goodbye. See you around, dude. And they fly off into the sunset. Just one more recurring gag to hit. Charlie's at the stoplight in his busted-ass car. They try to make the next light, but everybody gets stopped. But fuck it, Charlie has a blaster, destroys the stoplight, enabling traffic freedom for all citizens here in suburbia as we fade to some classical... And that's the end of Suburban commando now here's the big question is it junk <sighs> this movie admits admits to you the viewer right away this is a goddamn cartoon okay and it lives in that space for the entirety of its very meek running time all right christopher lloyd is decent in some moments, but he's, I mean, he's doing this with minimal effort, okay? And I'm not saying he didn't have fun, 
but it's a paycheck picture, okay? Hogan is better than he is in No Holds Barred. This is, you know, playing the straight man to Christopher Lloyd is a good role for Hulk Hogan. It's PG fair. It's safe. You know, but you know what? Fuck it. It's not junk. Because it tells you right away what it is. Movies like Morbius, The Last Airbender, Rollerball, they think they're cool. They think they're serious. They think they're something. Suburban Commando's like, yeah, dude, this is just a fucking 90-minute cartoon with Hulk Hogan. You want to hang out for a little bit? And you know what? I do want to hang out. Suburban Commando is not junk. But speaking of things that aren't junk, folks... All the podcasts here on the new TNN are not junk. They're fantastic. Check out Toad Man as we continue to watch Dawson's Creek with our friends, film connoisseur Kevin Nash, and confused yet excited, Force Ghost Dusty Rhodes. And check out the latest edition of Ring Man, where we talked about the episode of SmackDown in 1999, where Vince McMahon defeats Triple H for the World Wrestling federation championship but folks i had a good time on this one with you i hope you enjoyed it yourself i'm johnny c winner is you